Lord Jesus, I'm reminded that for those of us who are followers of you, those of us who are covenantally joined to you, and we carry your DNA in the fabric of our spirits, there's no such thing as dire circumstances. And while we do face adverse circumstances today, we face situations that we've never been faced with before. We're reminded today in song that our hope is in you, not the outcome. Help us to remember that, Lord God. We're also reminded today, Lord Jesus, that you take whatever is presented to you, whatever the circumstances are, and you use them to your good and to our good. We recognize today that you would use these current situations and environment to squeeze us where we need to be squeezed, to mold us, and to and to bring out of us that new wine that comes from the throne of God through your Holy Spirit. Let us not miss this moment, Lord God. Let us not be fearful. Let us not be overcome by fear and and anything that would grip us and paralyze us today. Help us to embrace the process. Lord, we leave the outcome of all of this to you. We certainly do what we can do, but at the end of the day, the outcome is resting upon you. And our hope is in you, Lord Jesus. Today we rest in that hope. Today we lay aside all anxiety all trepidation, all fear, everything that would cause us to take our eyes off of you and place our eyes on the issues. Today we do look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, with total trust, total faith, resting in that hope. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Welcome to week two of online streaming church at Abundant Life Church. Uh, the only announcement I'm going to make, I know some of you need an announcement, so we're going to make one, is that uh, as far as online giving is concerned, the PayPal account is not working properly as we speak. So some of you, many of you, as a matter of fact, let me commend you, you've been mailing your checks in. You've been dropping them off at the office. Um, and I want to commend you for being faithful and diligent for that. Uh, hopefully in the next day or two, we will have an active Venmo account. And so I don't know what Venmo is. Well, you probably wouldn't use it then. Uh, but it's spelled V-E-N-M-O and you would be able on your phone from your checking account just to make a deposit or make a donation to Abundant Life Church with a couple of clicks. And uh, we'll send more information out about that when it becomes available. And we hope to get the PayPal uh, issue rectified as soon as PayPal gets some people back in customer service that we can talk to. So anyway, uh, keep doing what you're doing, assuming you're doing the right thing. If you're doing the wrong thing, don't keep doing what you're doing. Change it, and uh, we'll keep going. We can't say with any certainty how many Sundays we have in front of us that we will need to continue doing this, but we will continue doing this as long as we need to. We all look forward to that blessed day 
And I'm not necessarily talking about going to heaven. Uh, Loretta Lynn wrote a song that said everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And uh, most of us are in that boat. But that blessed day I'm talking about is that day when we are able to gather together in person once again. And that day's coming, hopefully, soon. Today we want to talk about what does God want from his church? I'm glad you asked. I was thinking about this week. Uh, we began participating in a movement called Unite 714. There's, you should have gotten a video or a link to a video. Uh, that video is still on our YouTube channel as well as last Sunday's service. Obviously, Unite 714 refers to 2 Chronicles 714. I was thinking about that passage and how that we've heard that verse quoted hundreds or maybe thousands of times. To my knowledge, never out of context. To my knowledge, never misused. But I'm a firm believer when you're going to read scripture, read it in context. And you, you gain more and you learn more about a verse. In a little bit, I'm going to have you turn, if you, if you haven't already, in just a moment to Second Chronicles chapter 7. And uh, we're going to look at the, this verse in context. Today is has been declared, I'm not even sure by who, if it was the president or somebody declared today the National Day of Prayer as the church. We've already started out by praying and reading Psalm 91. We will conclude today's time together by reading this week's prayer put out from the United 714 team. If you don't know what that is, go to unite714.com. We will finish up with a prayer today, uh, joining with uh, not only uh, saints around here, saints in our country, but saints all around the world. So in Second Chronicles 7, we're going to begin reading in verse 11. And uh, again, as I said last week, if you want to stand in your living room, that's fine. If you don't, I won't even know about it. Um, verse 11, again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, I read that and I thought, well, isn't that nice? Solomon built the house and then God said, okay, then I'll accept it. Well, what, if he just, what if he wouldn't have accepted it? Anyway, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and for, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, 
You will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules. Then I will establish your royal throne as I have covenanted with David your father, saying you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land, notice whose land it is, from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid on other gods, laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster upon them. Second Chronicles 7, 14 in context. Context is that, as you saw, Solomon had just completed the building of the house, building of the temple, and he was beginning to dedicate it. Um, if you have an open Bible or a tablet or whatever, if you just want to look back to chapter 6, you'll see, if you'll, uh, on your own time, unless I get real bored, you can do it today, uh, if you read chapter 6, verses 18 through 31. Now, I'm not going to go back and read all those verses. But what it does, it, Solomon is saying to the Lord things like, and I'm going to read just a, some spot checks here, things like, when, he, when heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they, they, your people, have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, then verse 27, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. He, another, verse 29, whatever prayer, whatever plea, is made by any man or by all your people Israel, watch this part, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward this house. Then, verse 30, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know accordingly to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind. So Solomon is actually addressing God Asking him to, to do these things. And in chapter 7, verse 14, verse 13, anyway, this passage, God is actually answering Solomon's prayer. He's replying to what Solomon requested. Um, it's interesting that he starts out with something that we don't, we don't like to ha- include in our theology. But watch what God says. He said, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Now, Who did the shutting up? God did the shutting up of the heavens. By the way, no rain equals no economy. When you see that he withholds the rain, the rain produces crops. Crops equal economy. He said, uh, or I command the locusts to devour the land. Or I send pestilence among my people. Sometimes we can get into a theology that says God would never bring anything like that on us. Well, you're disagreeing with God when you do that. 
Is God a mean ogre that's ready to crush us? No. But sometimes God let, allows things to touch us, often because of our own bad choices, that he knows will bring us back to him. Anybody during this time who has not been driven back to the Lord God uh, is either living in a hole, ignoring the circumstances, or as Hank Williams saying, they have a cold, cold heart. He says, if I do those things, remember Solomon listed these things. Whenever this, this happens and this happens and God's replying says, whenever I let this happen, can I tell you that nothing will touch you as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus, nothing can and will touch you that has not first gone through the fingers of God. I'm, I'm not saying God was the author of it. But sometimes God lets things touch us. I mean, look at Job. I don't even want to get into that story, but Job was probably one of the most righteous guys of the day. And God said, you can touch him. You can't kill him, but you can touch him. We talked last week about how that God will allow circumstances and situations to, to sort of to touch us, but not destroy us. That's God's way. And so what does what does God want from his church? That's a pretentious title for me to stand here and to assume I can, I can answer that question for you. But the fact is, I can answer that question. Not because I'm so smart, but because God has already answered that question. And all we have to do is look at it. What does God want from his church? Well, there's basically two parts to this message. Or if you're looking for a modern day term, there's two points. There are two points. The first one is the part of the church. The part of the church. Some some scripture here actually translates the word where he says, if my people, as army. But he identifies if my people. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a message at this time to the world. There's a message at this time to the nations. There's a message to those who are outside of Jesus Christ. This is not it. He said, if my people, possessive pronoun, my people. And so he's identifying the church. He's identifying his church. Not just in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, not just in Tennessee, not just in America, but around the world. He said, my people. Who are called by my name. If we have his name on us. And that's really an identifier. And we worship that name. But he said if my people are called by my name. And so he he makes it very clear. Who he's talking to. And that's you. And that's me. And that's anyone else. Who's breathing the breath of God. And the DNA of the father. He said if my people. Who are called by my name. Will humble themselves. Sometimes when we recite Second Chronicles seven fourteen, we only focus on the next word. We'll get to it on the word pray, and that's certainly important. But we miss some parts of that verse because we just focus on prayer. On prayer, before he even mentions prayer, he says, "You need. I want you to humble yourself." Is it possible that we, as a nation, and worse, 
we as a worldwide church, is it possible that we have at times shaken our fist in the face of God? Is it possible that we have set ourselves up um, in such a way that we have exalted ourselves above our God while pretending to worship God? Is it possible that we have so arrogantly assumed that we can handle this that we've not done what he said to do to go before the throne of God with confidence for to receive grace and mercy? Is it possible that the church has adopted theology that reduces God to our butler, to our cosmic Santa Claus, and we failed to worship him for who he is? And so God says, humble yourselves. We need to lose those thoughts. We need, we need a fresh vision of God as who he is. Truth is, we need a good dose of the fear of God in the church and in the church in America and the church worldwide. Well, there are parts of the church around the world, they don't need a dose of the fear of God. They understand it. But in in the Western world, we don't understand that. We need to see God as he is. To humble ourselves is to assume a posture of submissive or deferential respect. Do you see God from a submissive standpoint? Or do you see God as your vending machine to just put a prayer in and get something out? You can go ahead and say, oh me, I won't hear you. Do you have a respect that defers to God? Do you believe God is smarter than you? My pastor, Brother Charles Simpson, has said that a lot of people love Jesus, but they don't think he's very smart. Deferential respect. It's to be in a place where God can walk with us without having to contend or strive with us. That's that's humbling ourselves. Does God have to fight us all the time? Does he have to contend with us, not just as individuals, but as a group of people, as churches, And that's his church. To humble ourselves is to find our abiding place under the mighty hand of God. And you can find that in 1 Peter 5. Casting all of our care on him. Why? Because he cares for us. He cares for you. I can can place myself under, don't miss, the mighty hand of God. And cast all, everybody say all. I didn't hear all y'all at home. Come on now. Casting all your cares on him. I have so often quoted Brother Vernon Simpson, I'm going to do it again, that anxiety is a mild form of atheism. Anxiety is just a little bit of I don't really trust God. I don't believe God. We need to find our place under God's mighty hand where we can cast our care because he cares. Well, we do get next, the next uh, instruction that he gives us is this word pray, which is probably the central part of this verse, but it's not the only part, but to pray. Is, do you think there's a reason that God instructs us to humble ourselves before he tells us to pray? I don't think it's any accident that he says, humble yourselves and then pray. Imagine trying to pray from a standpoint of other than humility. Imagine trying to pray from a standpoint of arrogance and, and asserting ourselves and inserting ourselves 
So first we must assume that posture of humility and then we pray. Prayer is, in a simple definition, to engage with God in a two-way communication. Uh, you know, some of us need to learn that lesson because we think prayer is say, God, listen to what I got to say and listen to what I want. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. The fact is, some of the most valuable prayer time is not what we're telling God, but what he's telling us. We need to listen for that still small voice. We need to listen for that communion with God. It should be two-way communication. Referring back to 629, Solomon said, Whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or woman, or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow, and stretching out his hands toward this house. You examine yourself and you present that to God. The, the, your own affliction, your own sorrow. All of us today are facing this COVID-19 situation, this crisis. And we have our own ideas. We have our own measures of tension about all that's going on. We stretch out our hands toward this house and this house being God's church, God's presence, not this physical house. And we pray. Another part of prayer is that God has set us in the earth as his vice regents. We labor and we co-labor with God in the earth today. And he has assigned you and he's assigned me the responsibility to pray. Particularly through prayer, we reach above into God's purpose and release it down from there to here. We reach into the heavens Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. So we reach into heaven and with our prayers, co-laboring with God, we pray the will of God into the earth. We have that responsibility. Jack Hayford said in one of his books, prayers are the pleas for God's ordained purpose to appear. When we pray, we're praying for God's ordained purpose to be real in the earth. We don't just come up with a random prayer. We don't just spend all of our time complaining to God because things aren't the way we like them. We don't just, we don't just invent prayer. We try to find out what God wants. What does God want in the earth? Jesus said, your will be done in earth like it is in heaven. What is that? What do you, what, what, what would God's ordained please look like? Well, I can tell you this much. If you say, well, I don't know how to pray God's will. Well, I'll tell you where to begin. Begin in what God's already said. It's in the Bible. Pray the Bible. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm not going to answer now, though. Sometime in the middle of the week, I'm going to send you another video. You may get tired of looking at me. You can put something over my face. I don't know about what we do when we pray the scripture. Prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God working hand in hand with God toward the realization of his redemptive purposes on the earth. I'll read that again. Prayer, I don't know if I wrote this down or somebody else did, but either way, 
Prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God, working hand in hand with God toward the realization of his redemptive purposes on earth. And this is how John can write in his first letter in the fifth chapter that whatever you pray, believing you shall receive. Well, that doesn't mean we just go out wishing for everything in the world. It means the actual wording there in the text, according to his will, means in the, in the Greek text, it means down from. So we're praying down from. According to his will, it's down from. Down from what? Down from heaven. Down from his will into the earth. And so we have a responsibility to humble ourselves and then to stand in the gap as God's vice regents in the earth. I'm not telling you today that if you don't pray it, he won't do it. But why would you want somebody else to get to get be involved? Do what God's called you to do. Then he says, humble yourselves, pray, and seek my face. Seek my, this is all through the scripture. I could have stood here all morning and read scriptures about seeking God's face and seeking God. When I read that, uh, my, my 70s mindset said, what is God's face? You're going to seek God's face. What is God's face? What, what, what does that look like? Well, we don't know what it looks like, but what does it mean to us? When I look at your face, boy, you, you're waiting for the next thing I say. Depends on who you are. I see you. I see who you are. When I see your face, if you turned around with your back to me, it's often, it's often, I remember as a small child, I walked up to my mother at church. Uh, she, she had a really nice gray, long gray coat. And I walked up behind her and tugged at that coat, trying to get her attention, her attention for something. And she turned around and it wasn't my mother. It was another lady in the church who recently just passed away, by the way, who had the exact same coat as my mother it was about the same size. A similar hairdo, and from the back, I thought it was my mama. Just she turned around. When I see your face, I see who you really are. When we see God, when we see God's face, we seek His identity. Who is God? Well, that's a great study. You got sixty-six books in in this book that can teach you about God's identity. And if you go to Exodus thirty-four. He'll give you a good, a good start of who he is and what he is. When we, when we see his identity, we get his character and his personality. We find out who he, who is he? What is his character? What is God's character? Can you trust his character? What is the personality of God? We also see God's glory. You know, once again, if I look at the back of your head, I don't really see much, but when I see your face, I see all the glory of who you are. And in a, in a similar vein, you see God's presence. You don't, you don't get much presence from the back of a head. You don't get much presence from the backside of someone. Or if someone has covered up their face, you don't get much presence. But when you get the full revelation of the face of God, you get his presence. James writes this, come close to God. And God will come close to you. And in the hour we live, the next words say, wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> uh, some of us have washed our hands so much, our skin's coming off. Purify your hearts, 
For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Oh boy, I don't want to sit down there, but too many times that's our problem right there. We want the we want God and we want the world. We want the value system of the world. We can't have both. Wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> but the the issue here is to come close to God and God will come close to you. Now what does that mean? It means God will not violate your will. It means that God will not force himself upon you. Now, he will create circumstances that will cause you to want to come close to him. But he will not force you. But once you do come close to him, he will come close to you. And then after that, it's like the bumper sticker I saw in the early 70s. that said, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? wasn't him. When he says for, that we should seek his face, it, he means that we should desire to know his character and want his presence. Humble yourselves, pray as his vice regents, and then desire to know him, to know his character, and to want his presence in our lives. Number six ends with, a very common priestly blessing. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So verse 25, the Lord make his face shine upon you. Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance on you. We seek God's face because therein lies the blessing. The blessing doesn't come from all the stuff God gives us or we want God to give us. And by the way, God gives us plenty of stuff. The blessing doesn't come from the things that God gives us. The blessing comes from God. The things that we receive are not the blessings. The blessing is God. And without God, there is no blessing. Seek his face and he'll be gracious to you. In so doing, we'll be able to see past our human condition. We'll be able to see past the circumstances we're in the midst of. We'll be able to see past all of the negative reports. We'll be able to see past the anxieties and the fear that would seek to dominate us. And seek his face. You really can't do both. You can't seek God's face and seek trouble. You can't do it. You got to choose one. We said last week, looking unto Jesus means looking away from something to something. And you can't look at the circumstances and at Jesus. You have to choose. The next thing he says is we don't like, but it says that we should turn from wicked ways. We say, I'm not wicked. Well, of course you are. You see, you're not here. I can get out and say it. You're not throwing things at me. Turn from the wicked ways. What does that mean? Well, it certainly means a lifestyle or a way of life that is evil, uh, maybe even demonic. It certainly means that, but it doesn't only mean that. In the Hebrew language, there's the word here, rasha. And I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. It sounds like a country on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. 
But it, it, it has in the Hebrew text, it has a very different meaning than what we would think of as in American or in Western world as wicked. It literally means to depart from the path. To depart from the path. If you have not read Pilgrim's Progress, I certainly encourage you to do so. You say, well, that's kind of daunting to me. Well, they make a children's version. Read that one. Christian is the character's name in Pilgrim's Progress, and he's on a journey. And by the way, his journey begins at the foot of the cross. When he kneels at the foot of the cross, he has this heavy burden backpack on him. When he kneels at the foot of the cross, the backpack hits the ground, and he's relieved of his burden. And he begins this journey in God, but occasionally Christian will get off the path, and he'll go down a byway, and he'll find himself in trouble. A couple of times, you read, you're reading the book, and you think, well, he's about to die. But you know you're only halfway through the book, so he can't. God always redeems him. It's a great allegory, by the way, which was written in jail. Eventually, Christian gets back on the path. And then everything straightens out. To, to, to have a wicked way or to be wicked in, for most of us listening this morning means that we have departed from his path. We have went our own way. Just like Christian went his own way and got into trouble. Maybe as a people, we need the church, we need to examine whether or not we as Individuals and as a collective have departed from the prescribed path that God has for us. Psalm 18, 21 says, For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my Elohim. The word there for wickedly departed is the word rasha. But he begins that with the word turn. Turn from wicked ways. And, of course, turn is simply to repent. Now, we have a little bit of a stigma with the word repent because we think the only people that need to repent are those who are out robbing banks and killing people. The fact is, all of us, throughout our lives, we need to turn from something. It just means to turn 180 degrees and walk that way a while. You know, I've used a reference recently that if I was walking towards Hermitage, and I decided that I needed to go to Lebanon, that if I kept walking in that direction, it'd take me a really long time to get to Lebanon. But if I made a 180-degree turn and began to walk towards Lebanon, in a much shorter time, I would arrive. Often we have delayed and lengthened our direction by going in the wrong one. He said, turn from our wicked ways, wherever we have departed from the path. And, and it may not be a diabolical uh, departation. It may not be something gross or exaggerated. It may just be a slight departure. Wherever we've done that, we need to turn and go back the right way. God is saying these people live a lifestyle that is inconsistent with his revealed nature. These people who are wicked turn from the wicked ways. 
And then we get point number two, God's part. I can't, there's not, there's less commentary here because I'm not going to tell God what to do. I'm just going to point out what God says he will do. He says he will hear from heaven. Now that, that doesn't mean that God didn't hear us before, but all of us who've had children know that there's times our children are talking and we hear noise, but we don't hear them. Sometimes that's by design and sometimes that's through so much hearing. God always hears us, but when we do these things, he says, then I will hear from heaven. We have a listening God. God doesn't have his hands over his ears until we make a move. But when he says he hears, we understand that the next thing is movement. He'll hear from heaven. And then you, you, you would think at this point, he said, he would say, I will hear from heaven and I will straighten everything out. That's not what he says. He's I'll hear from heaven and then I'll forgive their sins. Oh, well, God, let's get to the healing part. I will forgive their sins. For if we have departed from the path and we have adopted a lifestyle that is not God's way, then we certainly need our sins to be forgiven. And God says to the church today, if you'll do these things, I will hear and I will forgive your sins. Wait, wait a minute, the church has sins? Absolutely. Any departation from God's prescribed path is a sin. Missing the mark that God has shown us. And then he says, after I forgive their sins, then I will heal their land. I will heal their land. We want God to move today. We want God to immediately remove this virus. And I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for that. We need to make sure we've done our part. God, we ain't got to worry about God doing his part. We need to make sure we've done our part so that he will heal the land. He said, where there's been no rain, there'll be rain. Where there's been no economy, there'll be economy. We're concerned about our economy today and our country, and rightfully so. God says, you do your part. I'll do my part. If I send the locust, I'll take care of the locusts. I own them. Matter of fact, Joel talks about an army of locusts and describes them as the army of God. That's another topic for another day. He says, where I have sent the pestilence, it'll, I'll take care of that. I'll drive it out. I'll move it out. And then he makes these statements that I find comforting. He says, my eyes will be open. Well, we probably figured that anyway. But God promises that his eyes will be open to us. Please don't think of God as some fictional character. Please don't think of the Lord Jesus as a figurehead for a religion. Think of the Lord Jesus, God the Father, as persons, persons, real person, real people, not human people, but real persons that we relate to. They're not just someone written about in a book that we pretend to believe in, but they're, they're, they're the part of the Godhead along with the Holy Spirit that we worship and we fellowship with. He says, my ears will be attentive. Eyes will be open. And my ears will be attentive to what you've, what you're saying.
to prayers made in this place. Now, they were talking about, and he was talking about in that particular instance, the temple that Solomon had just finished. But I want to tell us today, Paul makes it very clear that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This building we're in today, is there's nothing, there's nothing uh, sac- uh, sacred about this building. It's just wood and steel and mortar and concrete and, and blue chairs. What makes it sacred is when God's people gather. He says, I will hear the prayers that you make in this place. What is this place? Your place. Your heart. Your temple. Your situation. What place? In the midst of a COVID-19 virus outbreak, that's the place that he'll hear from. In the midst of maybe some of you are facing financial issues today. God says he will, his eyes will be open and his ears will be attentive to the prayers that you make in that place. Some of you are depressed because you've been alone. Some of you are uh, having relationship issues because you've been in the house together too long. That place, that's the place you issue the prayer from. God says, if you'll do that, I'll, I'll hear. My ears will be open. My eyes will be open. And my ears will be attentive. It's not necessarily, a ge- it's probably not at all a geographical place today. But it's where we are. So, I encourage you today to examine your heart. Examine your way. And reread these, these verses. And hear what God says to you about them. Now we will conclude, as I said earlier, we'll conclude and I'll read. If you, if you're with Abundant Life Church, I sent you this in an email. You may have downloaded it or printed it if you hadn't. You, you have it available. But just listen to this week's prayer from the Unite 714 ministry or movement. First Peter 2 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You feel like a holy nation today? Can I tell you, can I ask you to believe the word of God more than you believe what you see? A a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Please don't go back into darkness. He's called you out of that. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence or boldness, some versions will say, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Confidence, boldness means you don't have to worry about it. You don't, you can come before God's throne right now. You don't have to wait to go to church because it may be a while, but you can do it right now. And then the prayer says this. Lord, we humble ourselves before you today in prayer. Our hearts are saddened by the reports coming from our own nation and around the world of the continued spread and devastation of COVID-19. Today, we draw near to your throne of grace in confidence and faith, knowing you will hear our prayer. 
Your word says that though we were a people who once were in darkness without you, you were merciful to us and called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. You made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a God who is full of mercy, compassion, and grace. You said we can receive mercy in our time of need. Well, we need your help. We cry out to you because our world is in a desperate place. COVID-19 has created a dire time of need, but we are standing in faith on the promises of your word. Today, we are believing that as you appointed the Old Testament priests to stand in the gap as intercessors, to see plagues and disease eradicated, so you will use the church to intercede and see COVID-19 eradicated from the earth. Therefore, we stand together as your royal priesthood and take authority over the COVID-19 virus. We pray COVID-19 will be eradicated. The victims will be healed. The doctors, nurses, scientists, first responders, and the vulnerable will be protected. We ask all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for paying attention. And may God's Holy Spirit permeate your home today. Thank you. God bless.